This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, the best bits from Thursday, January the 26th. Uh, coming up, we'll hear from Simon Corkill. Uh, Simon uh, is involved with the Hero Dubai Desert Classic. Uh, he's one of the he's the tournament director, in fact. Uh, he joined us early doors. Obviously, the night before, they'd uh, mentioned or announced the fact that there were going to be no fans, no spectators, no guests on course. Uh, well, given the downpour that we had overnight, the course has taken a bit of a battering as well, which saw an initial suspension of play. Regular updates throughout the day as well. Uh, Simon, uh, Simon explained the decision to us early doors. Also had John Lyons, the Managing Director of Espace Real Estate, joining us live in studio for a uh, bi-weekly, a fortnightly uh, look at all things real estate with the team from Espace Real Estate. Uh, we focused on some of the big uh, moving trends in the market, uh, renting, selling, buying, and asked about celebrity influence when it comes to buying properties in light of the recent Beyonce uh, uh, gig here in Dubai to help launch the Atlantis Royal property at the end of the palm. Uh, Omar Khan joined us as well. Omar is the Executive Director of International Offices at Dubai International Chamber. Uh, They held a meeting yesterday um, to discuss the ongoing trade relations between the United Arab Emirates and India. Uh, Obviously a very fruitful relationship that's delivered in many years, one that uh, saw a huge boost with the uh, SIPA agreement last year. Uh, We asked him about targets, we asked him about numbers, we asked him about the influence uh, and the experience of both delegations from both countries and those ongoing relationships. Uh, Plus, the big one was the rain. It rained all night. It was raining during the morning. It was pretty murky whilst we were on air. And whilst we were on air, we got a number of updates from schools, from delivery companies and other organisations about their services. We heard from Gems, uh, the school operator. We heard from Ian Ohan of Crush Brands about their delivery services. Uh, Plus, of course, we were looking at the impact, the economical impact of the rain on Dubai. That was all on the business breakfast, all right here on the Bite Size Business Breakfast. First up, let's talk about the weather. It is having an impact across Dubai today. Let's hear from one of the world, one of the world's biggest schools operators, certainly one of Dubai's biggest schools operators, Gems Education. This is John Bramley. He's Vice President of Communications. We spoke to him a short while ago about the impact of the rain on school operations today. Gems Education has three of our 41 school sites in the UAE closed today because of the weather. That's Wellington International School in Dubai, GEMS Winchester School, Fujairah, and GEMS Westminster School, Ras Al Khaimah. All of them will be uh, online learning today. And our parents were informed of this last night. Uh, in Fujairah and Rack, will be online for two days following a ruling from the Ministry of Education yesterday. This is John Bramley from GEMS. Uh, we're going to speak now to one food company with a big fleet of its own delivery drivers. Ian Ohan is the founder and CEO of Crush Brands. They are the Freedom Pizza, amongst other people. Uh, Ian, good morning. Thanks for joining us. 
Hi, good morning. How are you coping with the rains, Ian, when it comes to your drivers? Uh, we essentially shut down all deliveries when the weather is inclement, and we allow our each of our location managers to sort of make the call as what is safe um, for delivery because obviously the weather moves around uh, around town. Um, but yeah, we, we completely shut down delivery. No delivery is worth um, a driver's safety. Do you actually see less or more orders when it's raining just out of interest? So typically in our industry, you would see more orders during the rain, uh, which is uh, unfortunate you know, from a business perspective um, because people are at home. So, yes, yeah, so, so that's very typical. But um, uh, we obviously we shut down delivery. It's just not worth somebody's, uh, somebody's health or uh, safety. Give me a bit of an idea, though, on what you are sacrificing in, in, in making that call. I mean, what percentage of your business is delivery? Uh, 95%. So we essentially, did, I mean, yesterday we did very, very little uh, revenue um, across, the, across the, the entire company. And are customers understanding when they're told that they can't have a pizza or a poke bowl? Uh, uh, look, for the most part, I think they are. I, you know, our system displays a message explaining why we shut down delivery. Um, some people get annoyed, and I understand that. Um, but, um, you know, it's just, uh, you know, I think it's, you know, people are hangry. And uh, so we appreciate that. We appreciate their sentiment, but um, uh, we won't compromise on driver safety. <laughs> what does it mean for driver earnings, Ian? How are your guys incentivized and, and compromised, and how do you make sure that they're not earning less money because of the rain? It, the only thing that they would give up is the number of tips that they would receive during that period. But you know, our drivers are not incentivized by the number of deliveries, so they're paid whether they're they're delivering or not. And, and I think that's what's different from other uh, other um, companies in, in the in the region. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. Ian O'Hearn is founder and CEO of Crush Brands, talking to us uh, about what happens with them with deliveries, which is absolutely nothing in the way of a pizza coming to your door during the rains. And going to get more on this on the agenda today after ten o'clock, rainy night in Georgia. A rainy night in Georgia. It seems like sorry. It was just he was she was there. It had to be done. Uh, Georgia Tolly is going to be speaking to a number of delivery firms later today on the agenda from 10 a.m. this morning, including Yazan Abudabkaba, who is the head of operations at Deliveroo here. At times when inclement weather is expected, we monitor the situation closely. Riders are also encouraged to assess the driving conditions in their area and temporarily log out if they feel unsafe driving. Depending on how different areas are affected, we limit delivery areas to reduce driving distances. And if weather conditions worsen and it is no longer safe for riders to drive, we immediately pause operations in all affected areas and proactively inform customers about potential delays or closures. George is also speaking to Shobit Pandey this morning on the agenda, Director of Logistics at Talabat in the UAE. So we've got all bases covered when it comes to food delivery. Tom, sport is taking a hit. Yeah, golf. Um, we know that uh, no fans on course today for the Hero Dubai Desert Classic. Uh, that has been confirmed uh, yesterday evening. So if you've got hospitality booked, uh, obviously it was free to get into the course itself, but hospitality, a lot of people will have booked for day one of the Desert Classic. If you've got that, then you need to go to their website now to claim it. You'll get your money refunded. We got hold of Simon Cork a little earlier on, Executive Tournament Director of the Hero Dubai Desert Classic. Uh, we want, we are side for an update. Obviously, we know about uh, no fans, of course, but what about play today? Any updates? Currently, from a state of play point of view, um, due to sort of the hazardous conditions out on the roads, and, and it's, it's very tricky for people to get here. So players currently... Uh, being suspended, uh, and there'll be another announcement made at, at, at 10 a.m. Uh, the course is uh, even even getting to the course is is, is tricky for players, uh, and 
media, etc. But also, uh, the course is is extremely um, unplayable at the moment. We've had over 40 mils of rain uh, over the last sort of 12 hours, um, and a lot of the course is still waterlogged, and bunkers uh, are are sort of like lakes. So, um, yeah, not not looking too good for today at the moment, but another announcement will be made at, at 10 o'clock. Um, we also asked him, obviously, business breakfast, putting all their business hat on this morning. Uh, it's gutting, obviously, for sports fans out there at the moment, but no spectators on course, obviously going to take a bit of a hit commercially. We've got a, a great family of uh, partners and sponsors. Um, we... we uh, spoke to all our, our, our partners last night and, and chatted to and explained the situation. They're all uh, very understanding and uh, they they take take took on board our decision. We're very supportive and, and given we made that decision last night, it, it's obviously when it, uh, we're very happy we made that decision. So um, we worked through the challenges with them uh, in regards to to what we can deliver from a, a sponsorship point of view, and uh, hopefully we we get at least three rounds. Uh, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and, and hopefully we get a bit today, but not sure on that. Um, and then we we, we discuss with, with each partner uh, where where this sort of ends up, but all very supportive and understand the, the situation we're in. Right. Other stories we're covering today. We have got the UAE President, Sheikh Mohammed, in Pakistan yesterday. Images of him being welcomed on the tarmac in Pakistan by the Pakistani Prime Minister. What's the economic story behind this visit? Because we had the Pakistani Prime Minister in Dubai just a few weeks ago. Here's Jean Walters, Senior Economist, Emirates MBD. Prime Minister Sharif and Sheikh Mohammed are said to have discussed enhancing cooperation, particularly in respect to trade and development. Reports suggest areas of collaboration might have included fintech and information technology. The visit comes at a particularly difficult time for Pakistan, which has been left ravaged by flood damage. It's thought that these may have caused up to $30 billion worth of economic losses. The UAE has announced it will step up aid to Pakistan by lending a further $1 billion US dollars, as well as rolling over an existing two billion US dollar loan, which is currently deposited with the central bank. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. Yeah, as Dina was mentioning there, economic ties between the UA and India were under the spotlight at a summit showcasing the historic and the future links between the two nations. Dubai Chambers hosting the India-UAE Partnership Summit which does exactly what it says on the tin. Uh, And ministers and officials revealing the scale of trade between the countries. Let's uh, find out what was discussed. Let's find out uh, what uh, has uh, been agreed. Let's talk to the Executive Director International Offices at Dubai International Chamber, Omar Khan, joining us live on the line this morning. Morning, Omar. Good morning, Tom. Good to be back. Obviously, it goes without saying that uh, the synergies between the UAE and India are long-standing and very fruitful. What did we learn from the latest summit? Well, uh, Tom, uh, the past year has really shed a lot about uh, the partnership. Uh, Dubai uh, Chamber's membership grew by 40,000, which is a record number. Uh, But 11,000 of our newest members are from India. That's a quarter of our business community. The trade with the agreement, of, uh, the Comprehensive Partnership Agreement now, is attracting a lot of investment into Dubai for manufacturing from manufacturers all over the world as far as Latin America. So the partnership, and I think India has sort of been focusing for the longest time on developing itself and, and servicing its local markets. It's a very close uh, and powerful manufacturing hub, a research and development hub, 
technology hub because even 33% uh, uh, of our startups are from India. But it's, it's, I think we, it's time to sort of supercharge this relationship because as you can see, China is our top trading partner, India is our second, even though we've been trading for centuries. So now we're going on every level, whether it's uh, renewable energy, biofuel, uh, startup technology, fintech, health tech, we're really supercharging this relationship. And we had 60 delegates uh, from very big and powerful businessmen come into uh, Dubai Chamber in Dubai. And so we're very excited about uh, pushing this forward. And our trade figures, I think we're going to, dare I say it, reach our target of a $100 billion trading relationship ahead of schedule. The fact that India's Minister of Commerce and Industry, Piyush Goyal, was here to inaugurate the summit and uh, open it with a keynote address and speech, that must speak volumes of this relationship. Definitely. So, um, and in the UAE and Dubai, we deal with many different countries, but sometimes uh, when we deal on a one-to-one person relationship, we're spoiled for connections, but we sometimes forget that this is a nation of over one billion people. This is a very strong powerhouse, so when a minister from a nation of that size and caliber uh, uh, connects with us, it's, uh, like you said, it speaks uh, large volumes about the focus. And India is a, is a, is a, is a large country. It has many different uh, uh, strengths and regions and languages. But Dubai, again, in this age of recovery post-COVID, uh, uh, Dubai can be like a Hong Kong, where, as they say in China, one country, two systems. Dubai can move very fast to enable a lot of the businesses in India. And this is what we've seen. We've seen a lot of uh, interest and in also setting factories being set up in Dubai in, in, uh, uh, to serve India by Indian investors as well. So, uh, again, there's a lot of synergies, and it's always seen as a complementary uh, uh, sort of uh, relationship to India. Let's talk about the role, your role, uh, the Dubai uh, International Chamber. And I wanted to pick up on that one because, you know, been here for over 20 years, um, reported a lot on the efforts of Dubai Chamber in the past. Uh, the very fact that we've now got the Dubai International Chamber as a facilitator within the Dubai Chamber, again, does that look at the importance of those international relationships? Absolutely. We're looking to tie up the relationships from east to west uh, to enable companies, whether they are already here or coming to Dubai, to have one hub that accesses 50 other hubs around the world. And so Dubai International Chamber, through its platforms like the Global Business Forums and other events that it and trade missions that it does, and the 50 international offices that we're setting up under the initiative of Dubai, uh, Dubai International Chamber's Glo- Dubai Global, we hope to actually enable, especially the SMEs, to have business development managers blockchain across the world from Dubai International Chamber at their beck and call, virtually or physically, should they choose to go to these destinations. So again, we're driving the competitiveness of, uh, of Dubai by having SMEs have this service. A lot of people ask us, uh, you know, when they come to invest, they say, what discounts do we get? What uh, a reduction in tariffs do we get? We tell them, look, the value in Dubai is already built in. And one of, one of those in the, in, 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 in the, you know, you have Emirates, you have DP World, and now you have Dubai International Chamber giving you 50 destinations that cover all the regions of the world at your beck and call, whether you need talent, you need raw materials, you need finished goods, or you need markets uh, to export to or invest in. Just finally, what we've got, uh, just 30 seconds remaining uh, with this one. In terms of pipeline, obviously we've seen the, uh, the benefits of the separate agreement of last year. Is 2023 going to be another fruitful year for this relationship? 
definitely. I think the minister, uh, uh, sorry, the, the, the chairman of IBLF, who's a very prominent businessman as well, he expected that we should reach uh, $88 billion uh, in trade between the UAE and India in 2022, between 2022 and 2023. So uh, we're very excited. There's still, India, we are still at the tip of the iceberg, even though this has been a relationship for centuries. Mm. Omar, going to have to leave it there. Uh, stay safe on the roads out there. Omar, Omar Khan is the Executive Director, International Offices, at Dubai International Chamber. We've had a busy week this week uh, with that uh, ongoing meeting between delegates from both the UAE and India. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Talking real estate this morning, John Lyons is with us in the studio. He is from SPAS Real Estate. John, always good to have you with us. Thanks very much indeed for joining us today. Good morning. Thanks for having me. We'll get on to real estate in a second. First of all, everyone's talking about the weather. How was your drive in this morning? What are the roads like? It was actually quite good. I think the roads held up from on my journey reasonably well. Took me a little bit longer, but um, not too bad. Okay, excellent. So you'll get back to the office of Espas a little bit later on and carry on the day job. I will do it. Business as usual. Good to know. Well, let's talk about business in the real estate market. We are, I'm looking at the date, 26th of January. Essentially, we've had the first month of the year so far. We know 2022 was a boom year for Dubai real estate. The question that we're all wanting to know, has it continued in the first month of 2023? What's the data telling you? Yes, it absolutely has. And it has been... Very interesting to see 2023 kick off without any delay. Normally, we would experience a bit of a slow start to the year. And I usually find that in years gone by, it takes until about halfway through January until things really start to pick up pace. But this year, there wasn't the delayed start. We got straight into it from the start and everyone's been incredibly busy, which I think is slightly surprising because when we were closing out December, I think a lot of people in the market might have thought that 2023 was going to be a year when things maybe plateaued a little bit and maybe it started to cool off a little bit, but that hasn't happened in the first uh, 25 days of the year. Why do you think that is? Because you've been in this business for decades now real estate markets are cyclical like all markets are they have peaks and they have troughs but the dubai market I and mean, we will we will get a trough sometime it's it, it's inevitable but we haven't got one yet what's your theory yes you're right it is cyclical and it won't go on forever the boom times can't last forever but i think we're still quite early on in this cycle we are not yet back to the same previous peak in real terms, inflation adjusted. So we've still actually got some way to go. If you assume that each cycle, the peak exceeds the previous peak, which usually it does. So I still think we've still still got plenty of scope left for more growth in this part of the cycle. Uh, What can we use as a leading indicator, John, to to see what the next few months might hold? You've got a a mortgage business, for example. What is that telling us? Yes. So Obviously, we've got the we've got our data as we've talked about many times on the show before. Our our, our buyer registrations and our mortgage registrations are up. Our buyer registrations in the first twenty five days of the year up twenty five percent compared to the same period last year. But what's almost more interesting for me is not always just to look at the data; it's to talk to the boots on the ground, to the people at the front of the of the industry. For example, I spoke to one of our mortgage brokers yesterday. He's been in the business for over 10 years. He's never experienced market conditions like this. He says, I mean, it's the happiest he's ever been. He's (laughs) submitting so many cases for mortgage applications. He's absolutely delighted. 
So what's the sweet spot at the moment in 2023? I'm looking at your website, for example, Espas Real Estate, and I'm looking at one apartment you've got in Southridge in downtown Dubai. One and a half million dirhams. It's not cheap, but compared to Dubai real estate, relatively affordable. And yet, you know, we're hearing talk of these multi million dirham properties on the Palm Jumeirah, these 50, 60, 70, 100 million dirham villas on Palm Jumeirah. Which is the bit of the market that's active at the moment, John? At the moment, all of the market is active, but particularly the the premium luxury end of the market is very active. If there's an area of the market where I think it would be worth paying attention to in terms of if it's starting to look quite overpriced, there are some parts of the really high-end luxury market that in price per square foot terms, particularly some of the luxury apartments, you're starting to question the price per square foot when it compares to some of the more traditional, less premium buildings in Dubai Marina, where I still think you see exceptional tangible value. And it would be worth just keeping an eye on that as we go. The off-plan market is incredibly active. And something, again, that would be worth keeping an eye on is is the, the sort of flipping on the secondary market of off-plan stock. And if you see too much of that, sorry, if you see too much of that, and if that grows, then you start to question whether that's a little bit too much speculation for the market. We're not there yet, but it's worth keeping an eye on. What impact does that flipping have on ordinary sales, though? Is it not two different markets? Exactly. And that's where I think that when I look at the market now, I would say that some of the activity in the off-plan market where you've got huge oversubscription to new projects launched and then they can be flipped for premium in the secondary off-plan market, that looks pretty speculative now and quite buoyant, maybe to a level that if it continues to go on that path, maybe in a year from now we might be saying that's that's a, a bit dangerous for the market. We're not there yet. But other parts of the market in the secondary market where good properties in good locations are still selling at prices per square foot that are lower than what you could build them for. I still think there's great opportunity if you can find those buildings in those prime locations. Dubai Marina would be a good example of that. Oh, that's good to know. Um, uh, Tom Urker, our resident Dubai Marina landlord, is with us in the studio. Thomas, how's your portfolio doing in Dubai Marina? You've got a couple down there, haven't you? You've owned them for donkey's years. Yeah, um, all good at the moment. Hasn't all been plain sailing, that's for sure, but Touch yeah. word, John. I mean, if you look past some of the real premium buildings and if you look past some of the big marketing campaigns, you find a building, just I'll give you an example, Marina Tower in Dubai Marina, built in 2006 by Emar. You can buy that today for around 1,200 dirhams per square foot. But if Emar today were to launch a new project, they wouldn't be selling it for anywhere close to that price per square foot because quite simply it can't be built for that price per square foot so if you want a deal i'm not saying that's the only building to find a deal and it's not the most premium building in the city but it still looks great value in my mind and if we're talking real estate in dubai this week it's all about this lady OK, we've established that none of us were there at the launch of Atlantis the Royal. Fair enough. Uh, but in terms of, of a real estate event for Dubai, how significant was the launch of Atlantis the Royal and Beyonce, who we just heard from there, launching it? It was a bit of a global event, John, was it not? I think it absolutely was. It, it, it felt like it was more aimed at the global audience and less aimed at the local resident audience. 
But I think that's amazing for Dubai because it really did put Dubai on the global stage and the reach of content that must have got out there through the influencer network network must have been massive. In terms of, of the real estate market in Dubai, and obviously you're one of the big brokers here, how significant is what's going on at Atlantis the Royal? Is it a sideshow or is it front and centre? I think it probably sets the tone for what we've seen in the real estate market over recent years, which is the luxury market, the prime, ultra prime residential market is almost really truly born in the last couple of years in Dubai. It's taken it to another level and it does put Dubai on the international map. It's a talking point in the global real estate market for the highest end product that can be possibly built. So and it's, it's good. It, it's gorgeous, I'm sure. I mean, I, have, I don't know. I'm not in the market for one. But the prices are very high. If you're talking price per square foot, we were looking online. A, a two-bed apartment, 2,000 square feet, is about 15-ish million dirhams. So you're talking at 7,500 dirhams per square foot there. And as you were saying earlier, you can get a perfectly nice building in Dubai Marina, well, that far away, for about 1,000 dirhams a square foot. And it's, it's an eightfold increase on, on what you'd pay for an apartment in Dubai Marina, John. Yes, I think it's just an entirely different market aimed at an entirely different demographic of buyer. And what's going on in Dubai Marina, for example, will be of absolutely no relevance to comparing to a product like that, which is aimed at the, the real ultra wealthy. And if you look at how much it must have cost to build that entire development, then you probably would end up realizing that that price per square foot might seem reasonable given the amount of effort and time and the amount of capital that must have gone to work to create that masterpiece in the first place. Who is that buyer, John? Where have they come from? Do they live here? How long have they lived here? We've, we've got a lot of buyers from Europe at the moment, a lot of British buyers, but we've also been doing deals with people from Switzerland and um, I actually asked the same question. We sold a property, a three-bed apartment recently on Blue Waters Island for over 5,000 dirhams per square foot. And I, I asked my colleague, you know, who, who is paying these prices? Coming from Switzerland, they don't think it's very expensive. That was their comment. They said, it seems, it seems a good deal when you're coming from Switzerland. John, good to hear from you. John Lyons, Managing Director, Espas Real Estate. Always a pleasure talking to you. Appreciate your time, John. Thanks and, for having me. And stay safe on the roads of the UAE this morning when you drive back to work. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Where we're talking about the weather. I can't stand the rain against my window. It is raining here in Dubai and across the UAE this morning. Schools in Fajera shut for the day. Mark has written in. Thanks, Mark. He says... Gems Wellington International School in Dubai is closed today. Now, we haven't verified that with Gems. So, Mark, thanks very much indeed for your message this morning. Uh, but we will verify that with the guys from Gems. A lot of things are being affected, including a major international sporting event, which starts in Dubai in just about half an hour's time. It is the Hero Dubai Desert Classic. Simon Corkill is the executive tournament director of the Hero Dubai Desert Classic, works with Falcon Associates here in Dubai, joins us now live on the line. Simon, good morning. Thanks for being with us. Good morning, Richard. What's the latest? What can you tell us? Uh, well, it's not really a good morning, uh, I'm afraid. Um, currently, from a state of play point of view, um, due to sort of the hazardous conditions out on the road, and, and it's, it's very tricky for people to get here. So players currently... Uh, being suspended, uh, and there'll be another announcement made at, at, at 10 a.m. Uh, the course is uh, even even getting to the course is is, is tricky for players, uh, and 
media, etc. But also, uh, the course is is extremely um, unplayable at the moment. We've had over 40 mils of rain uh, over the last sort of 12 hours, um, and a lot of the course is still waterlogged, and bunkers uh, are are sort of like lakes. So, um, yeah, not not looking too good for today at the moment, but another announcement we made at at 10 o'clock. Simon, uh, Tom Urquhart and I were chatting earlier on about what the contingency plan is, because, of course, inclement weather happens throughout the world uh, on occasion. Could you reduce it to three rounds, or does it have to be four rounds? Do you have to go on till Monday and Tuesday, even if you have to? Uh, It's an ever-evolving situation, this. Uh, Working closely with the DP World Tour officials, um, we we try to play as many holes as possible. Um, Obviously, if we lose today, which which, which we we could easily do, um, we we have to assess whether we can get 72 holes played and, and go into Monday. So... That's, a, that's an evolving decision that we made over the next next uh, sort of 12 to 24 hours. But certainly try to get a, at least uh, 54 holes played, if at all possible. Uh, Simon, we're the business breakfast, so we're going to ask the money question. No spectators today, possibly no play today, no corporate hospitality today. What does that mean from the perspective of you and Falcon and Associates who put this event on? What does it mean commercially? Um, from a commercial point of view, we, we've, we've got a, a great family of uh, partners and sponsors. Um, we we uh, spoke to all our, our, our partners last night and, and chatted to and explained the situation. They're all uh, very understanding and uh, they, they take, take, took on board our decision. We're very supportive and, and given we made that decision last night, it, it's obviously when it... We're very happy we made that decision. So um, we worked through the challenges with them uh, in regards to, to what we can deliver from a, a sponsorship point of view. And uh, hopefully we, we get at least three rounds uh, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and, and hopefully we get a bit today, but not sure on that. Um, and then we, we, we discuss with, with each partner uh, where, where this sort of ends up. But all very supportive and understand the, the situation we're in. A couple of questions coming through, Simon. First and foremost, with regards to those that were planning to be there today, um, obviously referencing your official statement overnight, those that booked hospitality packages today unable to take advantage of those, what should they do now? Uh, yeah, they, they basically they, they need to go to our website uh, and uh, there's the direction there, DubaiDesertClassic.com uh, in regards to, uh, to get a refund. Um, so if, if they go there... Uh, then uh, that will direct them to to get a refund. Uh, unfortunately, there's there's, there's no uh, hospitality today, so that's what they have to do, and they'll they'll get a refund. Obviously, you'll be in, clo- in close liaison with the players, the caddies, and the teams around those players. A uh, couple of people from the media texting us today, and other uh, golf fans. Um, you mentioned that next update will come at ten o'clock this morning. Where will that update be made? Where should people go to for the latest information? Uh, basically, uh, for, we, we communicate directly with all the players uh, and, and media, but also everyone needs to, to look at our social channels, follow our social channels and at uh, Dubai DC Golf, uh, that, and all our social channels will, will update the, the next messaging. And the- Simon, finally from me, in terms of, of the, the threat of not just the water, but also lightning, people walking around with big pieces of metal in their hand can be dangerous, can't it? How, how do you manage that threat? Uh, well, it's lightning. Unfortunately, is, is standard around around golf events around the world. Dubai, not not, not today. Um, uh, we, uh, we're we're pretty lucky in Dubai that it, it doesn't happen that often. But there, there are obviously procedures in place with the TP World Tour officials 
and uh, there's, there's very strict procedures in regards to lightning. Uh, we monitor the, the weather. We have weathermen uh, all around the world uh, following the weather patterns, local weather teams, etc. So um, we, if there's lightning in the air, uh, players uh, and everyone's brought off the golf course early so that we don't get into that situation uh, where players, uh, spectators, everywhere on the golf course when there's lightning. Simon, appreciate your time this morning. Really busy day for you and stressful day. So I appreciate you getting up early to speak to us. Simon Corkle, Executive Tournament Director of the Hero Dubai Desert Classic Players Suspended as of now. But don't worry, Simon, because I know media are allowed there. So we're going to get Chris McCarty and, <laughs> and Robbie Greenfield. We're going to send them down there, come rain or shine, in, in a cagoule, and we'll get them out there on the course and they can help you mop up, Simon. So that, that's our well, gift to you. I look forward to seeing those two. <laughs> we might, might, might get them doing some slides on the, on the practice range. <laughs> ah, brilliant. That, we'll look forward to that on social yeah, media. Yeah, that on social media. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Simon Corkle of the Hero Dubai Desert Classic. Uh, sounds like it might be a 54-hole tournament. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.